Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. John, and we're going to be in chapter 2, starting in verse 28, and then we're going to go all the way into chapter 3, ending at verse 10. And uh, this passage of scripture, again, just a context, uh, 1 John was a disciple of Jesus, and he's writing as like this pastoral voice. Think of uh, an older man with, with uh, wise gray hair, right? I don't know if he had a beard or not. He probably did, but he was, he was speaking and encouraging and also uh, reminding the church, like, hey, we, we ought to wake up because he says in this last week, the end times are coming or the end is near, the Antichrist is coming. And so what I wanted to do with that briefly is I wanted to just kind of not apologize, but I wanted to share uh, as far as exegeting the scripture. Last week, I, I kind of made it seem like the Antichrist is going to be one person. And there's a lot of arguments with that, but I don't want to give my opinion because I, I don't think it's necessary. But what I do want to say is there's many different ways that, that theologians and those that exegete the book of Revelation and the end times literature, there's many different perspectives. And I don't know about you, but I was raised with one perspective, and it's kind of shifted the way that I think about end times. And so I just wanted to encourage you that some believe that there will be an actual antichrist that comes. Others believe that there are many little antichrists. Wherever you fall on that, I don't think it really matters to be honest because we just need to know Jesus is coming back. Um, and so that's for you and God to, to wrestle with. We can have conversations on that. But I just wanted to, with humility, share that because I, I might have made it seem like there's just this is exactly how it's going to happen. And I just am uncomfortable with that. So you guys good? <laughs> Remember that this is big for me because I, I want us to be students of the word. This is us going deeper into the scriptures. And so we're going to read starting at verse 28 of chapter 2. It says this. And now, dear children, in light of the warnings, right, that we talked about last week, continue in him, in Jesus, so that when he appears, okay, this is the second coming, this is future tense, when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him, did not know Jesus. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, second coming, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know that he appeared. Okay, appeared, that's past tense. He appeared, he came, he was with us, he walked amongst us so that he might take away our sins. That's why he came, right? And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. More than ever, we can be led astray, and especially in, in the church 
the churches in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey that John's writing to, there were those being led astray by false teaching. And a little on that in a moment, but we're, we're definitely or can be led astray in our culture. We should love one another. Do not, sorry, the one who does what is, jumping ahead, the one who does what is righteous just as he is righteous, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will become, will continue in sin because God sees his seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And last verse, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. This is how we know. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. All right, deep breath. That was a lot, right? Um, I want to break this down for you. And in all honesty, kind of verse by verse, we're going to kind of exegete this. But there's something that John's trying to tell us here. Before we do that, let's just go ahead and pray. If you want to close your eyes with me. Jesus, we come before you, Father, humbly. We open up your scripture, Lord. We believe that the word of God is piercing and it drives right through to our soul. And so, Father, this morning I pray, Lord, as we've had a busy week, as summer's kind of coming to an end, as school is coming and teachers go back to work, Father, I pray, Lord, that as we just sit in your presence, Lord, as we come together as a family, that we would learn something new or something deep in regard to your word and that the spirit of the living God that is within us would be glorified and that we would learn more of who you are, Jesus. We give you this time. In your name we pray. Amen. So if I had a title for today's conversation, it would be Children of God. That is what John is trying to express to the church. And then if I had a subtitle, it would be Moral Principle of Brokenness or Sin. Okay, so he hits on those two things. I don't know if you saw it. He's expressing to the church at large that, one, we are children of God, but also we need to talk about this sin that is uh, decaying within us, and we need to be careful that we're not habitual, habitual, habitually sinning. You guys, you guys know what I mean by that? It's like it's one thing to sin and to mess up and to make a mistake morally and ethically in light of Christ, but it's another to kind of sin and continue in that. And be okay with that. So there is a habit that could come from sin. And, and man, this isn't like a popular conversation or sermon, right? And this is like a hard book. But I, I specifically was like, no, we need to go hard. Like this is, this is very important that if you are a follower of Jesus, okay, if you're a disciple of Jesus, we, we ought to look at and, and introspectively like look in the mirror and say, God, all right, what are you trying to do with me? And just briefly, like, know this, that if you're following Jesus, right, and the follow isn't so coupled with belief yet, if you're following him because, man, this is love is so good and it's been lavished on me and I, I desire more of him, there's, there's room for that. that that's, many followers of Jesus followed him because he was just an interesting guy. Many in the New Testament. But what happens after a while is it needs to shift to just a following to now it turns into like a discipleship. Now you're actually able to hear, okay, how do I actually live my life? Jesus showed us how to live his, our lives. How do I, how do I combat the, the culture? How do I move against what is coming at me in light of Christ's likeness? And so that's kind of where we're after 
here. So verse 28 says, and now, dear children, continue in him. I love that because he's kind of pointing out two things as we continue in him. He says, um, you're either going to be confident in his return. You're confident, like, man, I'm good. I don't know about you, but like, are you confident that he's coming back and are you good with that? Or is there this, this, this unwavering, like, I'm, I'm kind of unashamed. I'm kind of worried if he did come back today. Like, I don't know if I'm, like, good. I don't know if, like, morally and ethically, I, I don't know if, if I've been continuing in particular sin and that I need to get. So he's, he's after that. And the question for you is, like, how are you doing with continuing in him? That's my question for you. Again, because when he appears, he, there will be two responses from anyone and everyone, two responses. One is this confidence, or the Greek goes deeper, or it's like this assurance, it's this boldness, and it points to like this outspokenness approach, I love this, which is a witness. So there's, there's one type of individual that is following Jesus, is a disciple of Jesus, and the thought of hearing he may come back any moment, you have this like assurance and this boldness, and not only has this boldness kind of brought you this excitement for eternity or the future, but it's for here and now, though, as well. Like, I'm going to be a witness then. If I really believe in this Jesus, if I am continuing in him, how does that affect how I live my life as a witness? And I don't know about you, but like, I was sharing this with the team earlier, like, I've been getting really frustrated also in myself, but at the church at large. It's like, I think we're, we're, we're not doing very well with the witness part. I don't know if you sense that or if it's just me, but it's like when the politics come in and when we, we have like our own certain way of saying it and when the IG comments start to flood, it's like, man, I don't know if we're doing really well with being a good witness of Christ. But then you have to ask yourself, and that's kind of why we're doing this, like, well, then maybe your theology of God is, is skewed in a particular way. Maybe you feel like you need to like represent God and his kingdom and, and fight your battles that might not be God's battles. Like fight certain ideologies and I'm gonna fight this political perspective and I'm gonna go for it and fight, fight, fight. And it's like, I don't know if you know that that might not be God's battle. He might not be after that. And a lot of times I think that John makes it really clear in this last verse, in verse, in verse 10, he says, nor if you're of the devil or that word, that language is heavy, right? But he says, anyone who does not do what is good or what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Very practical language here, right? So I think you and I have to be careful with how our witness is going. But if you're confident that he's coming back, if you're confident that, man, I, I, I am on a mission here. Like, I am commissioned by not only the Spirit of God, I am commissioned by Jesus himself, by the Father, to make disciples so that when he comes back, we're ready. And so like the question there is like, how are you doing in that continuing in him? And then the next one is, is it's more of like a scarce one. It's, it's, it's not fun to think through this, but it says others will shrink from him in shame. The language here in verse 28 says, so when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming, meaning there will be people that are ashamed that he's gonna come back. And again, we're going deep into like the scripture here, and 
I'm assuming as you're listening to this, I'm speaking first to the actual disciple of Jesus now. And if you're following him because you're, yes, continue in following, but know that as you claim Christ's likeness and discipleship, there is a witness. And if you're not witnessing, there automatically, I don't know about you, but it's like, have you ever thought like, man, if Jesus came today, I don't know if I'm ready. Ah, shoot. Ah, I don't know. It's like, I don't, sometimes I don't know if I'm ready either right? But John's after something here. And again, how are we doing in continuing in him? So then in verse 29, he says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So he uses this language, born of him. So if you know as a fact that God is righteous, John says, then you will perceive as a logical consequence. So hear me out here. You will then perceive, if God is righteous, as a logical consequence that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now he's using this language because in, in the New Testament, have you seen where it says you have to be born again, right? This language is showing us that we become children of God. We talked about this in the book of Ephesians, right? You are now a son or daughter in Christ because of his goodness that he, you didn't have to do anything because you believe and you walk in him, you become a part of the family. In other words, the child exhibits the parent's character because he or she shares the nature of the parent. So if God, which the language says is your father, if he's your father, are you exhibiting his character here on earth? And that's like, ah, I don't know. Like, you got to check yourself, right? Like, I have to check my heart and my soul. And are you, as a child of God, sharing in the nature of your father and if you are born of him, you then obviously have a new birth. Now, this is like really important to get, right? Please don't miss this theologically. You are, you are given a new birth in Christ, right? It's not physical. You didn't go through your mom's womb again. But it is something very deeply, divinely expressed in this Christ-likeness that you are now born again in a new birth. So therefore, a person's righteousness is thus the evidence Righteousness, right standing with God, is evidence of his new birth or her new birth, not the cause or condition of it. Quick side note, in John's time as he wrote this letter, there was, we talked about this last week, there was this sense of like Gnosticism, okay? That's this idea that like I have divine knowledge that came from God and I'm like better than you because my knowledge is like up here and yours is down here, Right? Gnosticism, so which is, it's having like this high knowledge, especially in knowing God. And they called their initiation, watch this, gnosis, which was a regeneration, sort of a new birth. So what, what I'm after here is, in this time with the false teaching, they said, you can have a, a new birth. The false teachers were saying this, in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, to the churches, and some were naming and, and claiming Christ's likeness, and they were saying, hey, hey, you want true knowledge? You, you, you got to be regenerated in, the, in gnosis, though, so that you can have divine knowledge that comes from God. And it's a slight, massive lie that will take you a really, like, bad path as you continue in that. So John is showing us and them that righteousness, not knowledge, is the principal mark of the regenerate. What, do I, what am I trying to say? Righteousness, right standing with God, the way we live, the way we walk, the observing his law and his moral is the principal mark of being born again, new birth. 
I don't know if you wrestle with this. Like, I'm just going to address the elephant in the room. I, I don't even want to speak to this, like, theologically, but I got to just propose the question to you because I know that I asked this question. It's like, well, then is it like once saved, always saved? Have you thought about that? <laughs> it's like, so I went to church and I raised my hands and the pastor gave this sermon. And so, like, now I have him and I know him. And, yes, Jesus coming to my life. And so then, like, is it at that moment you're forever sealed forever and ever and ever, Right? Or like, do we have a part to play in the ceiling? And so it's like, can you fall out of that saving of, of Jesus? Can you fall out of being a follower of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus? That's between you and God. Like, you have to wrestle with that. Because there's many argument with that. But I think some, John is trying to point at something here, though, isn't he? You see, we have to pay close attention then to this. We should know the scriptures. Yes, knowledge. We should be seasoned in them, yes, knowledge. But we have to be careful that our pride, our follower, Jesus, disciple, of knowledge, of the scripture, makes us feel or act in such a way that comes off like, yeah, I'm God's son or daughter because I know the scriptures. Yeah, I went to Bible school and I have my degree in theology, so like I know the scriptures and you don't. So I have like, I'm, I'm high. That's, that's, that's sort of Gnosticism at some times, this knowledge Right, and so John is saying the way you live, church, family, the way you live in pursuit of Jesus' principles, your posture towards righteousness is what shows of you being born of him. You want to know if someone's been born of Christ? The scripture says, let me see your fruit. Like, how are you doing with that? And again, I'm not trying to, like, this is me. I'm like talking to myself here. Like, how, how am I doing as a witness and a follower of Jesus? And again, like, I don't know. I just think of that passage of scripture. And I don't know if it terrifies you. It terrifies me. And it's like many will come in my name, like pastors, priests, saying, hey, I prophesied in your name. I casted out demons in your name. I preached in your name. And then Jesus and God says, like, well, away with me, like, you evildoer. I never knew you. It's like, oh, okay. What, what does that mean? <laughs> And I mean, he's hitting at the heart there. How, how are you? Have you really been transformed? Have you really been shifted? Have you really been changed? Because if you have, there is a part to play in this. And we'll hit on that in a, in a moment. So, so you guys doing good? I know this is like really heavy. It's like, thanks for Sunday morning, Sam. I'm gonna go away all sad now. Like, no, like, I wanna encourage you. So like being a witness should take on a massive role. Again, Chapter 3, he goes into this. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that we did not know him. Dear friends, now we're children of God as, and what we will be has not yet been known to us. Really interesting language. So John goes deeper as he mentions born again here, which leads to an outburst of wonder at God's love in making us. Like this outburst. John is like, man, we are children of God. Like that should shift you in such a way. And this love, God has only shown us in the person of Jesus. We see that on display, but he has lavished on us. So children of God here is not just a mere title. It's not small. It's not fickle. It's, it's, it's not a small thing. This is such a profound statement that the children of God and the world are so different from each other, or should be. Like, this is how profound this statement is. Like, you are children of God now. So what does that mean? Well, we should, 
the church should, the witness should be much, much different than the world. Way, way different. And we talked about this in last week's, but this is why the people of God or children ought to be different. This is why you and I, we, we, we have to be different. We're called, we're commissioned to be witness. And our witness of Jesus should not turn heads. Do, do you see what, what I mean by that? Like, like, if you're a follower of Jesus and people know because your bio on Instagram or you're, you, know, you got a scripture there, or I don't know, going back to like the Facebook, like, I don't know, like the Christian, I don't know if it says that on Facebook or not. But if people know that you're following Jesus, you go to church, well, how are we doing with that? Are people like turning heads and being like, wait, I was at the coffee shop the other day, and this is true 100%. And I was like overhearing these like two young girls talking about like church and stuff. And she was like, I don't go to church. I can't stand it. Everyone's hypocrites there. And I thought that language would like change because it was big when I was younger, but it's like still there. It's like, of course we're hypocrites. Like, yes, we're all pretty messed up, imperfect people. But like, shouldn't that language eventually change? Like, shouldn't we be different in, in the world that, like, we're here and commissioned in? Again, the witness is of a people of love. People of love. The same love that God lavished on us should be on those in the world. And I think about this often. I just went to my, my, my mom's uncle's funeral this past week, and, and, like, I was just thinking about, like, like the reality of death. Like, it's, it's here. It's coming. It's can't run from it or evade from it. You can't get away from that. And it's like, sometimes I think like, what will people say about Sam at his funeral? And I, honestly, the, the only thing that I would want people to really say is like, that guy just loved a lot. He loved me. He gave me chance after chance after chance after chance after chance after chance. And because God gave him so many chances. Like, man, his character was love. And yeah, he frustrated me, but like, I, I just, he was taking advantage, but it was love, it was love, it was love. And it's like, if I, that's my pursuit. That's like my mission statement. It's like, I just wanna be the, the person of love that Jesus called us to be. I wanna follow after his footsteps. And so like, I have to then look different, not because it's my competition to do that because of my personality. It's like, no, 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 I, I want to be a witness of love to people. And because the world did not know him, it says. So verse uh, 2 of chapter 3 says, Dear friends, now we're children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. This is a quick side note. I just wanted to hit on this. Uh, John, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, right, it's how God and what I believe theologically, how people and all of the authors of the scriptures wrote the Bible was through this revelation that came from the Holy Spirit, even from the Old Testament in the time of Moses all the way to the end of the book of Revelations through John. It was this divine inspiration through an imperfect person as they, they, they penned, they wrote what the Spirit of God was saying. But I believe that through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, as he writes this, he makes it clear that God has not yet disclosed what we will fully be when he comes back. He says that right there. What we will be has not yet been known. So the follower of Jesus is not all-knowing. You know that? <laughs> John isn't even all-knowing. Paul isn't even all-knowing. You or I, Lord knows, is not all-knowing. So, because we're not Gnostics, right? And enough 
Though, to know, John is saying that on the last day and through eternity, we shall be both with Christ and like Christ, and we have to wait and see then what the full extent of that will be. And I don't know about you, but sometimes like we fantasize or just get excited about you know, eternity and heaven, and sometimes I think we're so after heaven that we forget that like God says, I'm bringing heaven down. Jesus says, I'm bringing it here. So it's like, I don't know if I'm so concerned. Like, yes, of course. Like, I want to be with Jesus, of course. But like, no, wait a second. He commissioned me as a witness here. I have the spirit of the living God. So do you. So I don't know if I want to get to heaven as fast as others do. In fact, I want to bring heaven down. And that should be the shift. You see the theological shift? If your mind has been teaching you all the time that like, I just got to get there, get there, get there, you're going to miss this here. Your friends, your family, your, your, your loved ones, you're going to miss the beauty and the wonder of life, of Zoe, right, of life to the full that Jesus said I want you to have. So I don't know if I want to get there. Yes, it's glory and it's amazing, but like how do we bring that down here? And they made that really clear. Jesus made that really clear in the gospel. So verse 3, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So John's reasons for bringing up the return of Christ and our final state is not theological. Watch this, please, please, this is so good. It's not theological, but ethical, okay? So let's just go there for a second. Meaning, it's not to study the nature of how he will come back. We argue that all day long, how he will come back, when he will come back, what order, Will it be three years in the tribulation and the Antichrist and then the Antichrist is down and then Israel, like we got to look at Israel and it's like the fundamentalist view or like there's a lot of different ways the thousand year reign, like is it an actual thousand years? Is it like metaphoric thousand years? You see what I'm at? It's like, no, 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 no. We can't be so fixated on that. That's theological, yes, but what about ethical? That's, I think, what John's after. He's, he's focused on practical implications of being in Christ, continuing in him. Have you noticed that in this book? Like love and light and darkness and how we live and how we act and how we observe each other. He says, purify yourself as he is pure. That's ethical, not theological. Now, Christ is righteous, meaning we must practice righteousness. That's what he's after here. And if we do not want to be ashamed at his coming, we ought to practice righteousness. So we must ensure then that the process of becoming pure, there's, there's ethic to that, is begun now, right? Not then, not when it gets closer to end times and like stuff's happening all over the world and like, oh, now I got to get right. No, it's, it's, it's here and now. I mean, I don't want to scare you, but like I remember when I was like a little boy and the preacher would be like, Jesus can come back right now. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet the creator of the universe? And I was like, yeah, whatever I got to do, I don't want to meet him right now. Like, I want to make sure I'm good, right? Jesus, like, we don't need to scare you into anything, right? Like, that's between you and God. This is real stuff, though. So we must ensure, again, that the process of becoming pure starts now. True, only the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from the stain and guilt of shame. Yes, 100%. However, now hear me on this. We have a part to play in purifying ourselves from, its, from the grasp of sin. And I'll prove it to you in scripture. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Therefore, Paul says, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us 
Purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God, okay? 1 Timothy 5.22 says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, praying. Don't be hasty in doing that, why? And do not share in the sins of others, ethics. Keep yourself pure, Paul says. 1 Peter, Peter says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, how do we purify ourselves? E ethics, right and wrong, yes and no, the right, right way of doing it in light of what Jesus called us to do, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And I can go on and on and on and on. I have like five more verses on that, but let's just move on. I had five more verses on that. So it seems clear the scripture is showing us that we have a part to play in becoming pure as he is pure, right? Can we agree with that? So, verse four, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin, there's a habit there, it's habitual, has either seen him or known him. So again, I don't think we need to go into much detail on the utter destruction that sin brings, right? I think we know that pretty clear, right? Again, sin is this defiant, I'm sorry, deviant violation of God's moral code and principles or law, right? And, and it distorts, it distorts it, it wrecks our image of, of him that created us, the image of the Imago Dei. It, it just does some destroying, right? And it will bring much brokenness to your soul. That's what sin does. I think we could all agree to that. It's like, man, if I've like lived long enough, enough I, even as like a five, six, seven-year-old, like I realize, man, this sin thing is like messing me up bad. Like I gotta get, how do I get this out? Like how do I just not do this? And yet it's, it's true for every human being, every person on earth. So it should be noted that in our day and age, sin can be excused by either euphemisms like personality problems. I'm going to go there for a second, okay? Oh, he's just a one. No, he's just a two. No. If you hit on the Enneagram, sorry for those that aren't aware of that. But like... Or, or I do this sometimes, like, oh, that's just kind of their personality. So it's like, that's okay. And it's like, I don't know, like, we got to look at this for what it is. Like, we got to be honest with ourselves. So, or, or by the, this is what is culturally relative. Have you, have you thought it through that one? It's like, well, since the culture's doing it and this is happening, I got to be tolerant of it. Like, I got to be okay with it. That's just kind of where the culture's going. And it's okay because like, you know, that's all right. I'll just do my own thing, but like what happens when it starts to permeate into your home, into how you parent and how you teach and how you live and how you walk and how you interact with one another, right? But that in our hearts, that examination of sin is in fact active rebellion. When we do those things, when we sin, it is active rebellion against God's known will in our life. Can I just hit on that for a second? This is for Sammy right here. Maybe it's not for you, it's for me. When, when, when I sin as a habit and I'm okay with it, I am actively becoming an enemy of God. I am in defiance of his goodness, of his lavishment, of his love over me. I'm just like, whatever, God, I'm going to do whatever I want. And 
I don't want anything to do with the kingdom of heaven. I want everything to do with the kingdom of hell or the kingdom of this world. And I know that's hard language. It's like, geez, Sammy, relax. Like, I'm just, like, John is making this really clear here. So it's important, watch this, to be aware of this. Because if you and I are a disciple of Jesus, this is the first step towards healthy, God-honoring living. Seeing our mess up and saying, no more, no more, man. I'm not letting this come into my home. I'm not letting this come, out, come over me. I'm going to do everything that I violently get rid of sin in my life. So then he goes on to say, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Here it is. This is John's pastoral heart at hand again. The false teachers, which were tools of Satan, this arch deceiver, Satan, the dragon of the soul, the father of lies, he says, we're seeking not only, these false teachers, we're seeking not only to lead them astray theologically, but morally. They were literally claiming, you have to live this way, you have to be like this, but they weren't living that way or being like that. And that is Complete antithesis, opposite of how Jesus was. This, by the way, convicts me all the time. I've even shared on this. Like Sabbath, you guys have heard of the, the, na the name Sabbath, right? The meaning Sabbath. It's like a day of rest. Kelly and I aren't there yet. I'll just be honest. I'm going to publicly, like, Lord, help me, <laughs> right? And it's not, it's not a command. You don't have to view it as a command. No, it's like this loving, like, opportunity that the Father wants with his children. Hey, take a day of rest. Like, rest in me. Know that I'm good. Be loved by me for no good reason. And like, Kelly and I are working on that. I'm like, hell, what do we do? Maybe Sunday at one to like Monday at one? Like, how do we do this? We're not trying to be religious with it, but I know that there is this, this, this powerful divine thing that comes over Kelly and I, and it's this rest of the Father. So I have a hard time preaching on Sabbath. Have I ever done that yet? Probably not. not no, I haven't. 100%. Why? Because I'm not living it yet. I'm not. That's what Jesus did. Everything he taught. Every single time Jesus taught, he was living it. And those that were in Gnosticism, they taught it, but they didn't live it. And that, like as a pastor, I got to take heed to that. As witnesses, we ought to take heed of that, right? So verse 8, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Here we go with the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the, the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Last verse. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does what is right, right, is a child of God. Or who doesn't do what is right is not a child of God. And anyone who does not love their brother or sister is not a child of God. So I want to hit on this for a moment. You guys doing good? Yeah. Right? Okay, I want to hit on this for a moment. This is the origin of sin. Okay, worship's going to come up right now. This is the origin of sin right here. When we look at the devil or the father of lies, as Jesus said, or the evil one or the, the arch deceiver of our soul, we see that the moment of the devil's proud rebellion against God was from the beginning of his career. Since sin is his characteristic activity, and by the way, one of them which is characteristic of, of just being arrogant, proud, meaning I'm better than God, I can be better than God. So there's something to say for them, for me and you then, when I sin. I, listen to this, I participate not with the kingdom of God, but I participate with the work of the devil then when I sin. When I'm like, as a habit, 
I'm like doing it over and over and over. And then I like become calloused and then I can't stand you. So I'm just going to keep doing it. And you bother me. I'm not going to have any forgiveness for you. I'm going to have resentment. I am participating with the work of the devil. And it's like, I know that sounds old school, man, but it's like, this is real stuff here. So this, when you look at it in the angle, provokes a deep sense of confession when you really look at this. I don't know about you, but it does for me. A deep sense of confession and reverence to the Father of lights, to God himself, and to a repentant heart. I'm like, man, Lord, get rid of whatever trash is in here. Like, I don't want to participate I want to participate with the kingdom of God. What do I have to do? How do I work on this? Yes, I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I'm now in right standing with the Father, and I have a new creation, but there's some work that I have to do as well as I partner with the Spirit of God in my life. So if the characteristic work of the devil is to sin, then the characteristic work of the Son of God is to save. Okay? Don't miss this. I'll say it again. If the work of the enemy is to sin and to eventually kill you, then the work of the Son of God is to save you, is to call you to a higher aim, is to call you to more, is to give you this life and this life to the full. So watch this, church, Coin Church, watch this. The perfect creation of God through sin was spoiled, okay? When? From the beginning, in the Garden of Eden. Side note, if you wanna join this like Old Testament course, let me know. I think we're going to have it on the table. We have like almost 30 people signed up. I'm like so stoked. And we're going to go through the Old Testament. So I hit on this just briefly. I hit on this in the class. Like we have to look at the Genesis account. What happened in Genesis with Adam and Eve and with the fall and with what God was doing in the earth. And he invited humanity to participate with him. Well, what was it? You see, it was through sin that spoiled God's beautiful, perfect creation. And it was from the beginning. And who was it? It was Satan, but, but more than that, it was this sin, this, pride, this proudness, this arrogance that I could be better than God, right? So here it is. Satan still tries to assault our soul, assault our soul. How does he do it? Body and mind in three ways. Here it is. Morally, ethically, his work is enticement to sin. Okay? Did you get that one? Morally? How does the enemy come after you? Okay, he's going he's gonna to get you to sin morally. How does he get at you morally? He's going to get you to sin. He's going to be, get you to be enticed, to be drawn to it, to just be, oh, I got to do those things. I got I to gotta participate with, with that crowd. I got to live that way. And it's this enticement morally and physically, the inf- infliction of disease to your body. We know this. Sin brought that. Sin brought a curse of disease to us. Cancer. And, and, and all of these, this, this evil wickedness through different minds and different lies and different ideologies, but eventually the work of the enemy is to, to decay our soul, right? And then intellectually, here it is, it's seduction into error or lies. But Christ came to destroy his works and his ways. I need you to get this. If you got anything from this, don't get the devil part. Well, that's important. But get this part that Christ came to destroy the father of lies and to destroy his work in his way. That's, that's why he came, to diminish, to get rid of, to exterminate, to, to hold down, to break 
so to speak, the chains of sin in yours and my life that comes from the devil's work. So the characteristic work of the Son of God is what? To save. He is after your soul. The language is lost and found because he's, he's after you to find you, right? And actually, he, he's not finding you, you're finding him. So you're lost, man, and like he knows who you are and he's after you and after a while in community and someone sows a seed and someone speaks to you and someone invites you and someone reminds you of the goodness of God and the love of his lavishment over creation and there's something, this revelation that comes over you and the spirit of God will speak to you, but it's after your soul. He is after your soul because he doesn't want you to be lost. He doesn't want me to be lost. He wants me to be found. What does that mean for the witness then? This is good news. We must be, as Jesus said, salt and light then. Why? We can't lose our saltiness in the world. We must be witnesses of Jesus, people of love, people of purpose, people that are in the business of showing those who were lost a way, a way in the darkness, a way in the wilderness, a way in the low moments and the suffering. There is a way, friend, come. Get near, let me show you the way. And I don't know about the map, I can't give you every turn, but I know the way. And his name is Jesus. And when you put your trust in Jesus, and when you put your life in Jesus, and when you follow what he called you to follow, principle and moral ethic and good, that is the highest aim that can only come from Jesus. When you do that, I promise you, you will be found in him. And that's between you and God, man, but it's like, good luck with that on any other route. Sorry, I know that's like heavy, but like, try it. Try other routes, try it. All routes don't lead to God. Only one route leads to Jesus. Only one route leads to heaven, and it's through Jesus, as John would say. So this is what makes or should make us attractive, by the way. We ought to be attractive people. It's like, man, I'm good looking. Not, not externally, my soul, my character, my ethic, my being, my person. I'm not here to judge you and look down on you and say you're not good enough or not pretty enough or not smart enough or not intellectual enough or like your biceps aren't as good for me. Like I'm not down, I'm not here to look down on you. I'm here as Jesus would say to be salt and light. So I, I mean, I gotta be attractive. Chase, we gotta be attractive, bro. We gotta be attractive people because it's getting darker. I don't know if you sense it or feel it. It's getting darker. Like the day, the hour, it's getting darker. But those that are followers, true followers, their light will shine on a city and a hill, right? Like a city. And, and that's, that's what my and your work, that's what all of our work is. What's up, Jamar? Come on, bro. <laughs> like we ought to be those types of people. Man, can we do that? Can we do that, church? Or is it just me? Is it just Grandma Liz? I, I, I gotta be a witness, man. I gotta be a witness. I gotta be a witness. Just last week, someone came up to me. Bless your soul. I love, I love this because I've been praying for her. I don't know if she's here today, but someone came to me last week and said, man, someone in my family practices witchcraft. This stuff is heavy. This stuff is real. More and more and more, I'm hearing conversations, and I'm seeing it. Look at Megan Fox and the Machine Gun Kelly. Like, they're openly okay with the spiritual realm. The, the day is getting darker and we ought to keep our eyes open and be attentive to the spirit of God, but we also have to be good witnesses. So I'm gonna love you, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna love on you. I'm gonna love you as Jesus would love you. But when you become a disciple of Jesus, we got work to do now. 
So you might be following Jesus, follow him, pursue him, reach out to him, ask questions. It's not necessarily about belief and following, but there comes a moment where it's like, man, are you in this or not? Because we got work to do and we're to be people of love. Does that sound good? Can I say amen or is that too old school? Man, amen to that.